Heavenly Father, I want to praise you for the Sabbath because it's the first Sabbath of 2010. And what better way to start the year than to be here early in the morning seeking you and your word so that we may know your will and the plans you have for us in this year. Lord, in this morning, I ask a very special blessing, an outpouring of the Holy Spirit to every, for every single person that's here present, and in a special way for Sebastian, Father, who will have your message this morning for your people. May we know, Father, that you have a special plan for us, that we will be the last generation to see you come, and that we will be the ones to take this message to every single person on the world. Please be here with us and open our hearts and our minds and prepare us to receive your message this morning. In your name I pray. Amen. Oh, GYC, do you love Jesus? Oh, yes, we love Jesus. Are you sure you love Jesus? We're sure we love Jesus. And why do you love Jesus? Here's why I love Jesus. Because he first loved me. That's the reason we all are to love him. Oh, how I love Jesus. I can't hear you. of you that's why you're here this morning amen. amen no other reason but because we love Jesus and we love to study the the book that testifies of him amen I have some good news for you can I share some good news with you yes two things so last night I was in my bed reflecting over my message about 10 30 p.m. I got a text message it was a little cryptic. Come downstairs right now. OK. Why? <laughs> People get assassinated that way. <laughs> then they responded, just come. You got to see this. OK, dot, 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 dot. I think I'm going to just stay in my room. <laughs> and so then my, uh, my younger brother, comes back into the room, and he starts telling me how everyone's gathered around this piano in the Galt Hotel. Yes? Was he telling me the truth? Yes? There was all these young people, unashamed, singing the old songs of Zion. Is that true? Yes? Is that good news? So you guys kept your promise. You did me a favor. I pray you'll keep it up. But I have even better news. So my younger brother walked in, and his first comment was, I heard you talked about me this morning. <laughs> and he got mad because I didn't wake him up when I came. So he wasn't here to hear me talk about him. But my brother um, had gone to outreach yesterday, really excited. And he came back, and he said, you know, I'm going to get baptized. Amen? Amen? So at first, you know, when you've been praying for your family for seven years, it doesn't really hit you right away, right? So I was like, oh, OK, I tried to act all calm, cool, collected. And then my brother, he was going out because he was telling me how on New Year's Eve in the evening, one of the reasons why he didn't make my devotion was because he said he felt impressed 
to go next door. He said, you know, I just felt led. I wanted to test my character to see if I'm really over this drinking and this smoking thing. You know, have I really had a but now experience? So he goes over to the next door. There were some uh, people there, not believers, who were celebrating, bringing in the new year, drinking, smoking. So he comes in, he sits down, he has, he plays the trombone. He's, he's really talented. So he just brings his little mouthpiece around to keep practicing, goes over next door, and he says, well, I didn't want them to think immediately that I was here for a Christian conference. So he said, I'm just practicing my little trombone thing. They said, oh, yeah, man, have a seat. So they start talking. They see his name tag. They said, what's that? Oh, this is GYC. What's GYC? So he starts going into Generation of Youth for Christ. This is what's happening with this. He says, man, I wasn't trying to get into this Christian thing so fast. But they just kept pushing the issue. So he said, next thing you know, the conversation immediately turned spiritual. Every single person in this little circle group that he's sitting with, they start talking about where they came from in terms of God, their relationship with Jesus and church and all these different things. And people are like, man, you know, you're giving me a lot of things to think about. He doesn't end up leaving till about 4 o'clock in the morning. And I'm like, you're not even baptized. <laughs> Unashamed. Amen? I'm not going to tell you what he did on outreach, but as we all know, there's no, there's no person more unashamed than a new convert. Amen? I mean, we're just bold and brash. When I came into the church, I mean, I was blasting people left and right. It was like the wild, wild west <laughs> everywhere I was. <laughs> so I got up this morning very encouraged to hear that good news that God has used you as GYC to impact my family. And as the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 11, I believe it's uh, verse 30, verse 25, that he that the liberal soul shall be made fat, and he that watereth shall also be watered himself. Amen? So if any possible way, by any stretch of the imagination, God has used me to speak to your heart, just know that God has also used you to reach my heart by reaching my brother. And he went out the room last night again, and uh, just on fire for the Lord. So I made sure I woke him up this morning so he wouldn't be angry at me before I left. The title of our message this morning is Just This One Time. Just This One Time. It's a very special message to me just because it articulates a lot of things in my experience. We're going to start from the book of 2 Chronicles, chapter 32. And once you get there, we will have prayer together. 2 Chronicles, chapter 32. When you're there, please say amen. It's one thing about Sabbath. We just look good on Sabbath morning. Who would not want to be an Adventist just looking at us? <laughs> 2 Chronicles... 32. Are we there? Amen. Amen. All right. Let's pray together. Mighty God, everlasting Father, thank you for the gift of life. I thank you, Jesus, for traveling over mountain, land, and sea to find the lost sheep of my brother. I thank you for sweeping the house of this earth to find a lost coin in him. And I thank you, Lord, for meeting him a great way off. 
Father, it reminds us of the first time we fell in love with you. And you drew us with loving kindness. And the goodness of God led us to repentance. This morning, Father, we, we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would bring the scriptures alive. That we may see Jesus in a new way. That our hearts may burn within us as not Sebastian, but as Jesus speaks with us by the way. Teach us, Lord, of the importance of improving every opportunity to bring Christ to others. This is our prayer, and we ask and trust that you will help this to be our experience. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Second Chronicles chapter 32. Are you ready? Yes? Amen? You got your notes out? Got your three questions down? Ready to say amen when something resonates with your heart? Yes? Amen? All right. Second Chronicles 32, verse 22. Thus the Lord saved Hezekiah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem from the hand of Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, and from the hand of all other, and guided them on every side. And many brought gifts unto the Lord to Jerusalem, and presents to Hezekiah, king of Judah, so that he was magnified in the sight of how many nations? All nations from thence forth. Now, allow me to give you a little bit of background here. The first that we started with says, thus the Lord saved Hezekiah. Anybody been saved in here by the Lord? Amen? So thus the Lord saved Hezekiah. So the word thus means this is exactly how he did. As a result, God saved Hezekiah. So now the question is, what did he save Hezekiah from? Well, it tells you in the verse, it says, from the hand of Sennacherib, the king of Assyria. Well, this is what happened. Sennacherib, he wasn't just a normal heathen king coming up against the people of God. Sennacherib had began a military campaign. And as he had started his military campaign, he, he had this strategy where he would come into towns and after he was getting a certain series of victories, decimating towns, bringing nations to their feet, he came to the place and said, you know, before I come over to Israel, Jerusalem's a very beautiful temple. It's a very good land. So Sennacherib decides to be diplomatic and he sends an email to President Hezekiah. Hezekiah wakes up one morning after having his devotions, checks his email, and there in his inbox is a message from Sennacherib, king of Assyria. He says, okay, listen up, Hezekiah. We've been destroying country after country after country after country. Now we're going to come up to Israel, and I figured rather than to decimate your country and destroy Jerusalem, how about you just surrender? Oh, and by the way, don't try to do this religious stuff. Don't try to turn to your God or, you know, get on your knees and pray, or it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. No, no, don't try that stuff. You see, the other nations have turned to their God, and their God has not helped them. What makes you think your God can deliver you from my hand? 
So Hezekiah does something magnificent. He goes to print, prints out the email, takes the email, the Bible says, and he comes down and he goes into the house of the Lord and he actually spreads it out before the Lord. And it is as if Hezekiah comes to God in the temple and he says, Lord, have you seen this? This is my situation. You see, every other nation has not been able to gain victory over Sennacherib. And I don't know about you, but there's definitely been some Sennacherib experiences in my life. Some times where you didn't know what to do. Some situations that seemed to overwhelm you emotionally. Intellectually, you had reached your wit's end. I don't know how to get out of this one. And perhaps you know other young people or other individuals who, have not, who are not able to get victory as well. And so the Bible recommends to you and I, through the example of Hezekiah, there's some things you just got to spread it out before the Lord. There's some things you got to go into God and say, Lord, this is the situation. And the spirit of prophecy says, if you just spread it out before the Lord, your spirit will be braced with endurance. Something about communion with God, she says, calms the soul. And this was his Sennacherib situation, spreading it out before the Lord. Now after he does this, Isaiah and Hezekiah are praying, prophet and king, and God sends an angel, destroys 185,000 soldiers in one night. Sennacherib is obviously decimated and embarrassed, goes back to Assyria, gets murdered by his own sons. And then we pick up the Bible where it says, thus the Lord saved Hezekiah. Can you say amen? amen? Have you had any Sennacherib situations in your life? Or maybe you're facing one right now. You know, there's something of a phenomenon in the church I remember speaking at a series of different academies. For some reason, the invitations all came around the same time. And at every single academy I would go to, I was either approached by young people or by the staff about individuals being involved either in pornography, masturbation, or sexual immorality. At the academy. I went to one academy and uh, young people were on their iPods in between classes watching pornography in the hallway. And this was not a only high school student academy. So they had to ban all iPods. And I remember one, one place I went, they said, you know, Brother Sebastian, we've tried everything. We've prayed, we've had seasons of prayer, we've fasted and prayed. We've, we've tried to quarantine these individuals. We try to have them stay in a room with someone to keep them accountable. And it seems as if there's a Sennacherib situation on this young person. And it is as if the devil comes to us boasting. Other young people haven't survived this temptation. What makes you think your God can deliver you? What makes you think you're going to walk away from this scot-free? Do you really believe that God will never allow you to be tempted above what you are able? And will with the temptation provide a way of escape? Do you really believe that? Are you looking for the door out of every temptation? 
There is no God that's going to deliver you. And friends, this is where the rubber meets the road in the Christian life. People in the world want to know, does it work? Do you and I have victory? Are we being delivered not from these little here and there situations, oh, I don't lie anymore, I gave up pork, I stopped watching late night crazy movies on HBO. They want to know deep down, we're talking about the dark habits you don't want anybody to know about. We're talking about the things that are in the closet, inside the closet, inside the closet, in the basement of your life. We're talking about the things that you and I are ashamed of. Those sins that bring you to your knees and you wonder why this is the 200th time you've come before God. And we're just going through the motions. Thus, the Lord saved Hezekiah. And because the Bible says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, the same today, and the same for how long? Then if he saved Hezekiah, what can he do for you? So what do you got to do, friends? Some of us got to make sure when we leave this meeting this morning, you may have to put off your breakfast for a little bit. You may have to go back to your hotel room and tell your friends, just give me 10 minutes. I have a situation I need to spread out before the Lord. I can't, I don't have time for socializing. We're not in a generation where you can delay victory. We can't afford that, brothers and sisters. There is no time to parlay with sin. There's no time to parlay with temptation. Dancing on the devil's enchanted ground. No time. So we leave this meeting. Some of us might need to linger. Some of us might need to find a quiet place. And somewhere where we can spread it out before the Lord. Some husband has got to come to God about the way he's been treating his wife. Some child needs to come before God about the way they've been treating their parents. Some young person has to come before God about those deep down sins that they think nobody knows about. We talked about those. Where we think evil is victimless because nobody knows. It's not victimless. And we got to spread it out before the Lord. And I believe on the authority of Scripture, that if you spread it out before the Lord, like Hezekiah spread it out before the Lord, God is the same. And if need be, when you're facing that temptation, God will send an angel. He did it for Jesus in the wilderness. He did it for Jesus in Gethsemane. He will do it for you. Don't have to buckle. And friends, it's hard to fall into sin when you're on your knees already before the Lord. Sometimes we just need to stay in prayer like Jacob until the victory comes. And you say, Lord, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. Until you bless me. But the story gets better. The Bible continues on in verse 22. And it says, after he saved him from the inhabitants of Jerusalem from the hand of Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, and from the hand of how many? All other. Now follow this. That means it wasn't just Assyria that came up against Jerusalem. There were other nations trying to attack them. So it's as if people didn't get the picture. 
Okay, did you hear about uh, what they did to uh, Assyria? Well, that was Assyria. They're not going to do that to us. So God says, you know what? I'm going to deliver you not from this one temptation. I'm going to deliver you from the hand of every other. Amen? It doesn't matter to give victory on Monday, only to fall on Tuesday. Can you say amen? It doesn't matter for me to, oh, I went two weeks. The devil will let you go two months. Amen? Some of us, when we fall, we're like, Lord, I thought I was over this. The devil will let you ride for a while. And then he just comes right back at that one moment. And all your victories before just shattered. But this was not the experience of Hezekiah. The Bible says that God delivered him from the hand of all other. Then in verse 22 it says, and then God guided them on every side. Anybody here need God's guidance this morning? And then it goes to say, guided them on every side. So as Hezekiah sits down with his cabinet, he's got his, uh, you know, director of power, he's got his secretary for, you know, maybe evangelism in the kingdom, I don't know. But whatever the case may be, he's got all these areas as a king that he's managing, economics, policy, diplomacy, whatever. And it says, God is guiding the nation on every side. Every aspect of Hezekiah's life, God is providing the wisdom that is needed. And that is important because it's not enough for God to keep delivering us. God wants to lead us in a way that we just don't fall into temptation at all. Amen? God is not like, oh, I want to just keep delivering you. This is not just a give-and-take relationship. Thanks for delivering me. Walk right back into temptation. Thanks for delivering me. Walk back into temptation. He wants to guide us on every side. Verse 23. And many brought gifts unto the Lord to Jerusalem and presents to Hezekiah, king of Judah, so that he was magnified in the sight of all nations from thenceforth. Now this becomes even more powerful because you see back in those days, if you saw a nation that was experiencing the kind of military victories that Jerusalem was experiencing, they become very diplomatic now. Okay, well, if God is sending angels and uh, every other nation has tried to come against them, we may want to build a nice relationship with them. We don't want it to get into Israel's mind to come attack us. So what we're going to do is send gifts and they come in and, you know, they, they got the pomp and the circumstance. Oh, King Hezekiah, we bring you greetings from the Amorite kingdom. This is just a gift and a token of our friendship. So if Jerusalem will never attack us. So many nations are bringing gifts. And the Bible says, so that he, Hezekiah, was magnified in the sight of all nations. I want you to notice what God is doing in Hezekiah's life. You go from being in a bind, Sennacherib situation, to now you are exalted in the sight of all nations. Now, is the Bible exaggerating? Yes or no? No. When God says all nations, he really means all nations. So here you have Hezekiah is exalted in the sight of all nations. And the word magnified, you know what we do, right? You take the magnifying glass, something that's really small, and you blow it up. Hezekiah has hit the big time. And every time I, I think about this, when I, the last time I preached this message, some months ago, or it was last year, actually, 
And at that time, it was just right after Barack Obama got elected to the presidency. And I remember during my travels, I was on my way, I think I was going to, to Avon Hope and Loma Linda. And while I was on my way there, I stopped off in the airport. I like to pick up reading, sometimes magazines, see what's out there. And so I walk into the magazine section, and maybe you saw it too. Every magazine has Obama on the cover. You're sitting in the airport, CNN News, Obama. You change the channel, Obama. You go over here, it's Obama. You go check the magazine rack, Obama, Obama, Home and Garden, Obama's on the cover of Ebony, Obama's on the cover of everything. And I'm like, this brother is magnified in the sight of all nations. People in Africa talking about he is the savior now. Now that he's president, he's gonna do a lot more for our continent. Other countries looking to President Obama. Exalted in the sight of all nations. So for me, my first response is I need to pray for the brother. Because if he makes any mistakes, it's over. Just as quickly as the world lifts you up, they will quickly tear you down. And you can believe there are some people looking for dirt on that man. But here's Hezekiah, exalted in the sight of all nations. But you know, the Bible adds these extra two words. It says, in the sight of all nations from thence forth. That means from this point on. So here you have, he's not just on the cover of every magazine and on every time you turn on the television, he's got an interview with some talk show host at some point in time. That's not just his 15 seconds of fame. Hezekiah is exalted from thenceforth all the way on. So you keep going on with Hezekiah and Hezekiah keeps being exalted. He's never off CNN. He's never off the news. He's always on your Twitter. He's always on Facebook. He's always on everything you go and you're like, man, this brother is still popular. Now, if you have one of these string things in your Bible, I want you to put it here in 2 Chronicles 32. Or you can put, you know, some notes or whatever you have there. 2 Chronicles 32, I want you to put this little string thing here. And then we're going to turn to 2 Kings chapter 20. 2 Kings chapter 20. When you're there, say amen. If you're not there, say have mercy. Okay. 2 Kings chapter 20. Are we there? Amen? All right. Notice this with me. So now this is right after God has delivered. And sometimes when you're studying the Bible, you have to study both accounts of a situation to kind of pull all the pieces together. So we're turning to 2 Kings chapter 20, which did not give us the information we just got in 2 Chronicles 32. So notice the timeline. He's exalted in the sight of all nations from thenceforth. God's guiding him on every side. He saved him from the hand of Sennacherib. And now 2 Kings 20 is the exact next experience. In those days was Hezekiah sick unto death. And the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, came to him and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. Then he turned his face to the wall and prayed unto the Lord, saying, I beseech thee, O Lord, remember now how I have walked before thee in truth and with a perfect heart, and have done that which is good in thy sight. And Hezekiah wept sore. You see, Hezekiah was one of the greatest reformers in the history of the nation since Solomon. You only get so many reforms, so many wicked kings, and now finally Israel gets 
a godly king. They get a leader who knows how to spread it out before the Lord. They get a GC president who knows how to come before God with the prophet of the Lord and say, Lord, this is what we need as a nation. People of God. And he knows the power of prayer. And now God comes and gives you a message and says, you need to get your house in order because you're going to die. You're not going to live from this sickness. But Hezekiah believes that even though the prophet of God gave him this message, he still turns to God in prayer. He says, Lord, you know what I've done. And he weeps before God. And in verse 4, the Bible says this, And it came to pass, before Isaiah was gone out into the middle court, that the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Turn again, and tell Hezekiah, the captain of my people, thus saith the Lord, the God of David thy father, I have heard thy prayer. I have seen thy tears. Can you say amen? Behold, I will heal thee. On the third day thou shalt go up into the house of the Lord, and I will add unto thy days how many years? How many years? He will add 15 years to Hezekiah's life. Now notice this. I will add unto thy days 15 years, and I will deliver thee in this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city for mine own sake and for my servant David's sake. And Isaiah said, take a lump of figs. And they took and laid it on the boils, and he recovered. You thought that natural remedies was a new thing. It's right there in 2 Kings. Figs on your boils. I don't think we use that today. I'm not sure. So they take this lump of figs. His boils recover. And what has happened now is he's come to God. God has delivered him, and he says, hey, Lord, you know how faithful I've sought to be to bringing your people back to your word. And God, before Isaiah is even out of the court, he's in the middle court, God just sent him to bring a message, you're going to die, you're not going to live, set your house in order. He leaves. Now you're going down and you're walking out, you're walking out and all of a sudden the Lord comes upon you before you even leave the palace. <laughs> hey, turn back. Tell him he's going to live. And I'm going to add 15 years. Now let me ask you a question. If you were on your deathbed and God came to you by revelation and told you you were going to die, and then he came back and said, I'm going to add 15 years to your life, would you tell anyone? Yes or no? How many of you would give a testimony at GYC? Amen? Something is happening. I was supposed to die. So now you have this situation that Hezekiah gets a powerful experience. Now let's just say the story ended there. Would that not be a powerful experience in and of itself? Yes? You think that's something to be ashamed of? No? Let's keep reading. Verse 8. Hezekiah said unto Isaiah, what shall be the sign that the Lord will heal me and that I shall go up unto the house of the Lord the third day? And Isaiah said, This sign shalt thou have of the Lord, that the Lord will do the thing that he has spoken. 
shall the shadow go forward 10 degrees or go back 10 degrees? Now I'm gonna pause here. I wanna ask you what you think. I took astronomy in college. So we had to make one of these sundials. The thing that's in the middle that kind of curves is called the gnomon with a G. And you have to make sure you cut it according to the latitude of where you were. So I was in Michigan when I was in college. And so I had to cut it according to the last something around 42 degrees. So after we cut the gnomon, you have to face north. And then based upon the shadow of the sun, you see the shadow fall and you notice what time it is. And each degree is somewhere, you know, around 10, 15, sometimes up to 30 minutes, depending. So I made this sundial and I want to ask you a question. If God told you today, I'm going to work a miracle for you, sister, brother, and I'm going to give you a sign that I'm going to work a miracle for you. And here are your choices. The sun can even go down 15 degrees or it can go back 10 degrees. How many of you would say go down? No one, right? We wouldn't say that because the sun naturally goes that direction, right? Nothing miraculous. So if you went to your friend and say, hey, guys, look at the sun. It's going down. God's going to heal me. People look at you and say, it goes down every day. <laughs> and you think that's a sign from God. So Hezekiah, like you and me, comes to God. He says, no, 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 no. I want you to put the sun back 10 degrees. So God comes and, you know, there's nothing too hard for the Lord. Amen. So God comes and this is what he does. Verse 11. And Isaiah the prophet cried unto the Lord, and he brought the shadow 10 degrees backward by which it had gone down in the dial of Ahaz. So they had this sundial, and going back 10 degrees, like I said, it's about 30 minutes to an hour. Now, that's pretty significant, yes? Let's say it was 5 p.m., Sabbath comes in around 5 o'clock, and if Sabbath comes in at 5 and you move the sun back an hour, you just got an extra hour of daylight. So you would notice the difference. So you're walking back from outreach yesterday and imagine you guys are coming back on the bus. We're marching to Zion. We're singing our songs on the bus. And all of a sudden as we arrive back at the Louisville Convention Center, the sun comes back over the horizon. Outreach isn't over. The bus puts in reverse. <laughs> Drive back out to the streets of Louisville. <laughs> Amen? One more hour to reach souls. Now I want you to think about this. If God moved the sun for you, would you tell anybody? Yes or no? Would you be ashamed? So Hezekiah is a man that God moves the sun for. And the sun wasn't even the miracle. It was just the sign that I'm going to heal you. Let's keep reading. Verse 12. At that time, Barodak Baladin, don't try to pronounce it, the son of Baladin, king of Babylon, sent letters and a present unto Hezekiah, for he had heard that Hezekiah had been what? Sick. So he heard that Hezekiah had been sick, wanted to send gifts, and he sends this entourage. He sends letters and a present. Verse 13. And Hezekiah hearkened unto them, and he showed them, notice that next word, three letters. What is it? What is it? He showed them what? All. The house of his precious things. 
the silver, the gold, the spices, the precious ointment, and then that word appears again. What's that next three-letter word? All of his armor. And what's that next three-letter word? And all that was found in his treasures. There was how much? Nothing in his house, nor in, what's that word again? All his dominion that Hezekiah showed them not. So they show up. Here are some presents. Here are some gifts. All, all, all. And what did I not show you? There was nothing I didn't show you. And right when he did that, the prophet Isaiah strolls along like a faithful messenger. Even if God calls me to say the opposite message of what he told me to do, Isaiah is a faithful messenger. He shows up right on time. And he comes in verse 14 and he says, Then came Isaiah the prophet unto King Hezekiah. And he said unto him, What said these men? And from whence came they unto thee? And Hezekiah said, They are come from a far country, even from Babylon. Now, how many questions did Isaiah ask him? How many questions? Two. What were those questions? What said these men and from where did they come? Which question did he not answer? What said these men, right? Now, you know what happens when you ask people a question and they don't answer you. There's some conviction, right? You know, I always tell this story. It's not about my brother TJ. It's actually about my brother Royce to illustrate this point. Before I was a Christian, I used to spend a lot of money on shoes. So I had these Air Jordan 13s, the baby blue ones. Maybe you remember. Some of us are old, like me. $165 shoes. So I bought these Jordans, and I used to be extremely fastidious about my shoes. So I have shoes right now in my house that are probably 10 to 12 years old. You would never know. I used to clean my shoes every day when I got home from school. But my Jordans, I never wore them all the time. So my younger brother, Royce, we used to share a room. And so Royce would say, hey, he's Sab. That's what they call me. He'd say, Sab, can I borrow your shoes? Absolutely not. My brother was in middle school. I was in high school. I'm like, those shoes are $165. Come on, Sab, just let me wear your shoes. I think he was in eighth grade. I'm like, no, you're not wearing my shoes. So one day, I don't know what came upon me. But somehow, some sense of kindness entered my heart. <laughs> I call it insanity. Sab, can I borrow your shoes? Sure. Now, in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, he's in eighth grade. Like, what could possibly happen? And it was a day that, you know, it was raining outside. And I was like, it's okay. I'll just clean them when he gets home. So, of course, you know, we go to school. We come home from school. And I roll in like the prophet Isaiah. Hey, man, how was your day? Uh, where are my shoes? <laughs> oh, my day was great. Where are my shoes? And I used to have a little shelf in my uh, closet where I kept my shoes, and I would put a nice drapery over my shoes so they wouldn't get dust. Hey, unashamed. <laughs> so I go to my closet, and you can just hear the music, right? Dun, 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 dun. Pull the drape back. Oh! I look at my shoes, and a girl's name was signed in pink marker oh. on my Jordans. I'm not going to tell you the rest of the story, but he's still alive. 
when you're asking people a question and they don't answer you, you know that there's some conviction of something. And this is Hezekiah. So Isaiah goes on to drive the message home. Follow this. So he goes in verse 15, and he says, What have they seen in thine house? And Hezekiah answered, All the things that are in mine house have they seen. There is nothing among my what? Treasures. There's nothing among my treasures that I have not showed them. And Isaiah said unto Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days come that all that is in thine house and that which thy fathers have laid up in store unto this day. This isn't just about what Hezekiah has accumulated. This goes all the way back to Solomon. Everything that the house of David has accumulated rests upon your choice at this time. So now you have come with the accumulated riches of David, of Solomon, of Josiah, of Joash, all accumulated in the house of God, right there under your hands, in your possession. And you're like, I've showed them everything. And he says, the days are coming when all that is in your house, Hezekiah, verse 17, and that which your fathers have laid up in store unto this day shall be carried into Babylon. Nothing shall be left, saith the Lord. And of thy sons that shall issue from thee, which thou shalt beget, they shall take away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Now I want you to think to yourself, is there another book in the Bible that talks about riches being taken from the house of Jerusalem? Yes? What book is that? The book of Daniel. Any book talk about any Jew Jews who were eunuchs in the palace of Babylon? The book of? Did you know that Daniel's book exists because of this situation? And the question is, why is the punishment so harsh? Why is it that all that is in my house is going to be carried into Babylon? Why is it that everything my fathers have accumulated until now is going to be carried into Babylon, including not my riches only, but my own children and my descendants? And to be a eunuch meant you had to be castrated because kings would not trust eunuchs to not sleep with their women and their concubine. And Daniel was in the palace of Babylon because of Hezekiah. Now, I told you to keep that string thing there, yes? Go back to 2 Chronicles chapter 32. 2 Chronicles chapter 32. Are you there? Verse 24. In those days Hezekiah was sick unto death, prayed unto the Lord, and he spake unto him, and he gave him a sign. What was that sign? He, do, he did what? He moved the sun, yes? He gave him a sign, verse 25. But Hezekiah rendered not again according to the benefit done unto him, for his heart was lifted up. Therefore there was wrath upon him and upon Judah and Jerusalem, notwithstanding Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride of his heart both he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the wrath of the Lord came not upon them in the days of Hezekiah. Verse 27, and Hezekiah had exceeding riches, goes into all his treasures. Verse 31, how be it in the business of the ambassadors of the princes of Babylon, who sent unto him to inquire of the what? Inquire of the what? 
to inquire of the wonder that was done in the land. God left him to try him that he may know all that was in his heart. What was the wonder, friends? What was the wonder? God moved the sun. Why is that important to Babylon? Guess what they worship? The sun. So you're sitting there in Babylon and you're, you're bowing down to the sun and all of a sudden you look up and the sun starts moving. Whoop! Whoa! <laughs> and you start, this is crazy. And then all of a sudden you go back to your house, you grab your cup of coffee, pick up your Babylonian times, and you look at the newspaper, Hezekiah's God moves the sun. And the sun is my God. So if your God moves my God, then whose God is more powerful? We need to go inquire of the wonder, and you show me everything in your house, but that's not what I wanted to see. And God says, Hezekiah, I saved you from Sennacherib. I gave you a sign. I moved the sun for you. I brought Babylon to your feet. And I just wanted you to witness for me just this one time. Just this one time. You could have changed the course of human history. Babylon could have become a nation following the true God. And now Daniel's had to do what Hezekiah's had failed to do. You see, friends, hold off on the music one sec. You see, friends, God has not moved the physical sun for you and me. He moved the Son of God. That's the, all I can get as an amen. amen. He did not move a celestial star made of hydrogen for you. He moved he in whom all things consist. He took him by him all things were created. Jesus is the only one who has seen the Father at any time. And now he comes down to earth humbles himself so that you can see the Father. And if you've seen me, then you've seen the Father. And here you have Jesus on his throne in heaven, and God moves his son for you. They come to your house and you want to talk about how we have great veggie meat factories. They come to your house and want to talk about, hey, look, look how good our, our health system is. Look how good our educational system is. And God has blessed us as a church. But when people come to the feet, they came to inquire of the wonder. God didn't lead them to you to talk about all our trophies, all our precious things in our house. And it says all his treasures. Is Jesus not your treasure? When someone comes and talks to you, do you give them the most precious thing to you? Or are we like Hezekiah? We don't render again according to the benefit done to us. Ellen White says, I hear people speak of the fact it's so hard for me to give all to God. She says, when Jesus gave everything for you, I'm ashamed to speak it, I'm ashamed to write it. How can you withhold from Jesus? Jesus withheld nothing from you and me. And when we go to the gas station, when we're at the convention center, when we're going down from the hotel in the elevator, God's like, can you just witness for me just this one time? Can you tell him about the wonder? Can you tell him about how I saved you from Sennacherib? You don't got to break down a Bible study. Just talk about a but now experience. Talk about where you were blind and how you see. 
Talk about where you were drunk and now you're sober. Talk about the fact that you used to be out there in the world, listening to the devil's music, being about the devil's business. Now I'm about God's business. It always breaks my heart. When I was in hip hop, we get on the bus, big headphones, and we're rapping our songs as loud as we want. Christians are afraid to get on the bus and sing Amazing Grace. A song with a real message came from a real heart that knows how to grapple with the real issues of life. And God's like, just this one time. Friends, we can't be messing around with opportunities to share Jesus. Unbeknownst to you, like Hezekiah, that could be the moment where you could change the course of human history. The mission of GYC, to proclaim the three angels' messages to all the world in this generation. GYC, God comes before you and me, laying before you and I the deliverance, the miracles, the ways that he has blessed us. And he says, can you not witness for me just this one time? Friends, if we do our work, we will go home. Are you hearing me? If we do our work, we will go home. No more GYCs. No more divine service and you can't get a real message. You're going to go to heaven and they're going to say, our speaker this morning is the Holy Spirit. You're going to be sitting down in church and angels are like, is that seat taken? No, Gabriel, you can sit there. Where are you going right now? I have a lunch appointment with Abraham under the tree. If we do our work, we will go home. We will be that generation. And Jesus says it will happen. And because of that, God's like, just this one time, think about how he moved Jesus for you. Think about the benefit done. You see, friends, this is, this is, this is powerful for me. Some years ago, I've shared this testimony a couple times, but it bears repeating. But I remember some years ago, I was confronting my past before I knew Jesus. And I remember as I finished my campus missionary program, it was just convicting on my, upon my heart. And I said, some things you did, Sebastian, were against the law. I listened to a message Dr. Pipperman preached, faithful unto death, about a young man who was extortioning in England. Came to Dr. Pippa, he's like, hey, what should I do? You should go back and tell them. I became extremely convicted. So I, I sat down with Dr. Pippa in the summertime. I said, I think I'm going to go back. Flew down, talked to a detective, told him everything. He said, okay, you can go back to Michigan. We'll let you know if anything happens. February 26th. Israel Ramos's birthday. I went to see him in Berrien Springs. I was driving from East Lansing, actually my fellow missionary's car, a magenta, whatever it was. As I'm leaving from Berrien to go back home, I get pulled over for speeding. They pull me over, they say, hey, um, take my license registration, the usual. Comes back, he says, have you ever lived anywhere else besides Michigan? Yes, Illinois, California. Okay, I think this is a mix-up, but I just want to check. 
comes back to the car again. What's your social security number? Now, this is a little odd. So I give him my social security number. He goes back a second time. The Holy Spirit says, Sebastian, you're about to get arrested. He comes back. He says, Mr. Braxton, I'm going to need to ask you to step out of the vehicle. You have the right to remain silent. I'm a missionary. You have the right to remain silent. Right outside Berrien Springs, of all places. They say, well, because your crime wasn't committed in Michigan, you are considered a fugitive. Top security. And I'm so sad that Dr. Watson couldn't be here because I had talked to her before the situation. And I told her, you know, this is a possibility. I could go to jail. And she looked at me in the eyes. She said, you know, as a good spiritual mother, she says, Sebastian, wherever you go, if God lets you go to jail, then he wants you to serve in jail because God will place you where he needs you to be. So I said, okay, I got in the back of the cop car. I'm handcuffed. The guy's driving me. And when it's quiet in the car, I look up in the mirror. I say, hey, are you a Christian? He looks up in the mirror. He says, I used to be. What happened? People were doing some funny things with the money. So I decided to stop going to church. I said, well, we don't go to church for people. We go to church for Christ. And there may be some people in that church that need to see someone who is really faithful. He got quiet. He says, these crimes that you're accused of, was this before you knew Jesus or after you knew Jesus? <laughs> it's a very good question. I said, before. If it wasn't for Jesus, it would have never gone away. He paused again. We got to the police station. Because I was some fugitive, quotation marks, they had to strip search me. After he strip searched me, dropped me off, they said, hey, he looked at me, he says, I'm going to consider going back to church. I appreciate the conversation. They put me in holding for four days. Six men in a room as big as your bathroom in this hotel. They wouldn't give us forks or knives because we're dangerous. Just spoons. I remember waiting in there. They finally transferred me to population, maximum security. We don't have bars like you see. It's iron doors. So I walk into the population, and as I walk in, there's a group waiting to meet me. They want to see who's this new guy now. So I walk in, they say, man, what did you do? I'm like, you know, I don't talk about it. They're like, man, you look like one of those blue-collar guys. Like, you probably slept with some girl. You didn't know she was 15. I said, no, 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 no. <laughs> no. <laughs> They said, well, what did you do? I said, I don't talk about it anymore. I'm a Christian now. They said, oh, you're a Christian. So they grab this guy. His name's Michi. They bring him into the middle of the circle, and they say, hey, um, Michi, he, he got caught with half a million dollars worth of marijuana out in Benton Harbor. He wants to turn his life around. Can you help him find God's will for his life? Now, at this point in time, they would never give me a Bible. And I asked the guard, I said, why can't I have a Bible? They said, well, you know, you're maximum security, you're a fugitive, you may try to paper cut yourself to death. <laughs> okay, I guess that makes sense. Matthew, Mark. <laughs> so I, I, I come, I start telling him, friends, and this is why we need to know the Word of God in our hearts. No Bible. I start counseling him about how to find God's will for his life. 
At the end of that, I run to my room. My roommate's name is Alabama. Sit on my bed. I'm like, I'm in jail. <laughs> While I'm sitting there, a young man comes to my room, knocks on my iron door. I'm like, yes. He says, can I talk to you for a minute, brother? Now you know I've seen too many movies. And I was like, Lord. <laughs> I was in the United States Marine Corps. But I'm a Christian now, so I said, Jesus, just help me not to get violent. That's all I ask. So I follow him to his room. My heart is just palpitating. I mean, my heart is busting out my chest. So I go over to his room. I sit down. He says, hey, brother, I heard you talking out there. And when I heard you talking out there, I thought, man, this brother can help me. I said, well, what do you need? He says, well, I'm getting out of jail in three months, and me and my girl, we're going to get married, and we want to learn how to have a Christ-centered marriage. Amen. And when I heard you talking, I thought, this guy knows the word. He can help me. So I said, sure, I can give you a Bible study on that, but they won't give me a Bible. He says, go talk to this guy over there. So I leave his room. I go to another gentleman. He looks like, kind of like the godfather of the area. He's got like a long beard, and he's been in a hundred times. So I say, hey, they told me you could give me a Bible. He says, oh, no problem. So he lifts up his mattress. <laughs> He's like, I got King James, New King James, NIV. I'm like, let me get the New King James. <laughs> Grab the Bible, go back over to the room. The guy says, do you mind if my roommate joins me? I said, sure. So we sit down. By the end of the Bible study, everyone in the prison was crammed into that room listening to the Word of God. And you know me, I'm a preacher, so I had to make an appeal. How many of you? They all raise their hands, they stand up, we pray. The Godfather guy who gave me the Bible, he stands up, he says, hey, you're a prophet of God. God sent you to us to teach us the Word of God. You have to give us Bible studies twice a day. What? <laughs> University of Michigan, you can't get Adventists to come out to Bible study sometimes. You go to jail begging you to teach them the Word of God. So in the morning I taught prophecy, in the evening I teach practical Christianity. So I'm going through these Bible studies three weeks, and one thing I loved about jail was the time to pray. Three to four hours a day. So this one evening I'd been in there in jail for three weeks. And I was praying, and God says, Sebastian, you're leaving the day after tomorrow. I said, okay. I got up the next morning, went to my prophecy Bible study, and I said, guys, God told me that I'm leaving tomorrow. Don't make this jailhouse religion. Don't just do this because you got caught. That's not true repentance. Make sure when you leave this prison, you use your freedom as an occasion to further the cause of God. How do you know you're leaving? How do you know God was talking to you? I said, I guess we'll see tomorrow. Go to the afternoon, same thing. Next morning I wake up, God is good, he lets you eat breakfast first. Get my breakfast. And I, at the jail, I was known as the good brother. That's what everyone called me. They said, hey man, that's good brother. I was the only vegan <laughs> Christian in there. So they come over to the room and the guard walks in, he says, Braxton, you're leaving. The entire prison freezes. And there the guy goes over across. He says, I told you he was a prophet. I told you. 
So they start gathering around. It's like I'm like giving my little giveaways. Hey, man, you can have this. You can have this. <laughs> Passing out my Bible and all this other stuff. And I'm just brushing over a lot of things. There's a lot more things in the story, but I'm trying to get to this point. So I come down. They transport me there. I go before the judge. And while I'm standing there before the judge, they stand up and they say, okay, Mr. Braxton, um, what do you do, the judge says. Kind of pause. I'm chained to all these people. I am a religious counselor. He says, you're a religious counselor. Everyone looks at me in the, in the courtroom. I'm a missionary. He says, really, where do you work? I said, Michigan. You don't sound like a criminal. I'm like, not now, I don't. So he comes, he says, okay, let me see if I can let you go. Detective walks up, hands him a piece of paper. The judge says, Sebastian, on December 3rd, this was probably March or April by this time. I'd been in jail for a while. Someone had signed this signature bond. All you have to do is sign this piece of paper. You can go home free from December the prior year. You never had to go to jail. I walked out. The next day, I was home in Michigan, back to ministry. God was thinking in his mind, how do I get a true child of God to cross paths with a drug dealer? How do I get a serial rapist to sit at the feet of listening to the word of God? How do I get this guy who's 16 been caught with AK-47 since he was 12 years old? How do I get these young men to somehow have access to my word? And God says, this is how I do it, Sebastian. I guide your life. I permit circumstances. And in this one situation, I just needed you to witness for me just this one time. I've gone back to visit those men a couple times. Many of them still in the faith. Still reading the great controversy. You see, friends, we miss on opportunities to impact our world, our generation, and therefore to change the course of human history. We don't know. And as a result of that, you can start your music. As a result of that, many of us fail to witness for the Lord just this one time. How many opportunities have you bypassed to speak to someone who wanted to inquire of the wonder? They don't want to know about your degrees. They don't want to know about your bottom line or your profits. They don't want to know about your culture. They came to inquire of the wonder. Tell me how God moved the sun for you. Tell me how he saved you from Sennacherib. Just this one time. And many of us are like Hezekiah. His story is yours and mine. We show them everything. Because the one thing that is not our treasure is Jesus. We're ashamed. How can you be ashamed of someone who saved you? How can Jesus not be precious to you? And when those opportunities come, you said you would tell people if God moved the physical son for you, but you won't tell people if God moves 
the Son of God? Every head is bowed and every eye is closed. Two appeals. Appeal number one, Lord, by your grace and through the courage bestowed by the Spirit of God, because God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. Lord, I don't want to miss any more opportunities to witness for you. And you want to say, Lord, this morning, give me the boldness of your spirit so I do not pass over any opportunities to witness for you. If that's your desire, I want you to stand to your feet. I don't want to miss any more opportunities, Lord. Even if it's just this one time, every opportunity I find, I'm going to remember. I just, Lord, I'm going to witness for you just this one time. Don't think about tomorrow. Don't remember the rejection of yesterday. Just this one time. And now my second appeal is this. For us as young people in GYC, it's time for some of us to make some radical commitments to Jesus. Now there's many of us who do many things one time. So my call is this. For us as a movement, from here we are January 2nd, 2010. By this day, next year, 2011, if the Lord doesn't come first. You're saying, Lord, I'm gonna give some time to actively furthering your cause. I'm gonna do something I've never done before. Never call portrait, never gone on a mission trip, never went home to speak to my mother about Jesus, never actually got down and broke down the book of Revelation and then shared it with other people. God is touching your heart right now and he's saying, hey you, hey you, I want you to do something for me just this one time. If God is speaking to your heart, I want you to come forward. Lord, I'm going to do something I've never done before. I'm going to go out all the way just this one time. This appeal isn't for everybody. I'm talking specifically to people who are like, Lord, you've been touching my heart to witness. I'm going to do something I've never done before. Come up. I'm going to go on a mission trip. I'm going to go canvassing. I'm going to go Bible working just this one time. And as all other addictions begin, it starts with just one time. I'm going to do something just this one time. Press in, press in so we can make room. Just this one time, Lord, this is what I'm going to do. And when you go home to your hotel rooms, right after this meeting, I want you to write down that decision and pray over it and tell someone to keep you accountable. Just this one time. Lord, I'm going to do something I've never done before. No more shame. I'm going to be like Jesus. I'm going to despise the shame. I'm going to endure such contradiction of sinners against myself. And I'm going to endure. Because God moved the Son for me. God moved the Son for me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we cannot say enough how thankful we are
that it was not the physical sun that you moved, but it was the Son of God. And we pray, Lord, that as we seek to render according to the benefit done to us, that you'll protect us from our hearts being lifted up. You'll give us courage for those who have stood and said, no, we're not going to overlook any other opportunities to witness for you. But also for those of us who have come forward, we're going to do something, Jesus, we've never done before, just like you did something you've never done before, and that was become a man and experience death for every man. You were born even though you were the Ancient of Days. Father, we pray that that same spirit that moved Jesus to come off his throne, it will move us. And when we go out there for you just this one time, we pray, Lord, we pray that we will come back with a heart that is burning with desire to keep working, to keep serving, to keep putting our all into this work for Jesus. Keep us accountable, Spirit of God. Lead us to those who will be able to be our companions in this commitment so that we're not just coming up for another appeal. This is not an emotional response, Lord. We're making an intellectually credible decision. I'm choosing this day who I will serve. I'm choosing. Bless your people, Lord, for their willingness and use us mightily to finish your work in this generation. This is our prayer, and we ask that you'll help this to be our experience. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for GYC, Generation of Youth for Christ. If you would like to learn more about GYC, please visit www.gycweb.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org